0: Hey everybody, I'm John Small, and I'm Dan Bova, and from the Entrepreneur Media Podcast Network, this is Dirty Money.
1: Investigators have called it one of the biggest corruption cases
0: ever. You're one of the greatest con men of all time. You're the daddy of them all. what does it take to be a good con man? I'm not guilty. You're the one who's guilty. So hey everybody... My name is John Small. And I'm Dan Bova. You sure your name is John Small? (laughs) Yeah. I was a little like, uh, (laughs) yes, I'm pretty sure it was. And maybe it's just because I was just conned. And so I'm just a little thrown (laughs) off. Um, On today's episode, we are going to talk to author Tori Telfer about a new book she has out called Confident Women. And this is all about female con artists and fraudsters and shapeshifters and these are women that have taken a wrong turn somewhere and built people out of millions
2: of dollars. And John has fallen in love with every single one of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I am such a mark. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, no, it's 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 a really cool book and a really interesting angle on it. And it makes you think about things you hadn't thought about before, you know, with all these, uh, Netflix and Hulu shows that are bringing to light more and more, uh, female con artists, like, you know, they used to think about Bernie Madoff and like old guys, you know, scamming people and, uh, bilking them and scaring them into giving them money. But there's, there's a whole nother side of con artistry as, uh, as Tori, Expertly lays out in her book, and uh, we're going to talk to her all about it, including one case. John, do you believe in psychic abilities? I used to. I'm I'm a little bit more skeptical as I get older, but
0: I have to say that early in my life, I was definitely prey to some of these uh, people who claim to have clairvoyance and be be able to see the other side. So uh, this this story intrigued me.
2: All right. Well, why don't we uh, why don't we stop blabbing? And because my psychic energy is telling me our audience wants us to stop start blabbing <laughs> and get to the story. So why don't we uh, bring in Tori? Tori tell for a welcome to Dirty Money.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: So great to have you. Really enjoyed your book, Confidant. Confidant women. Um, tell us a little bit about why you decided to just focus on female con artists and fraudsters what was the genesis behind the book
1: i i pitched it right when the anna delvey and elizabeth holmes stories Good timing were. yeah so, so at the time there really was almost nothing out there about female con artists like it was kind of shocking to me now of course everyone knows those two names and people think we're in it, the era of the female con artists but there have been female con artists forever, and I just couldn't find a book about them. Even books about the con, you would maybe have one woman mentioned in a you know a chapter near the back. Mm, yeah. So it just felt like um, an open marketplace or something that that I had just stumbled on.
2: What is it about female con artists? You think that maybe hasn't gotten them as much attention, and also. What, if anything, makes them different than the way we know, you know, a lot of uh, men con artists operate?
1: Well, con artists tend to embrace cliches. Like, they're not, they want to blend in, you know, they want to make you believe they're a doctor or a sobbing housewife or whatever. Um, So female con artists often go for very gendered female cliches, whereas male con artists will uh, will be the fake businessman or the fake doctor? I mean, it's all kind of sexist, but they do it on purpose. If mm. that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So, so female con artists often pretend to be the widow, or mm. the, uh, you know, the grieving, uh, the young bride, the grieving mother—things that feel very oh, feminine and um, maybe even inoffensive. You don't often find them trying to sell you the Eiffel Tower, which is a male con artist cliche, right? And. That's Because it's not because they couldn't, but I think they know that society is going to be a little bit more skeptical of a woman who's like, I'm a business magnate, you know, I own the Eiffel Tower. Right. So they're not going to waste their energies on that, that con that's gendered male. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, totally.
0: Um, And you also said that they're they're good at being likable, right? They kill you with kindness.
1: (laughs) They kill you with kindness. And that's true across the board, male, female. A con artist is not going to succeed if you don't like them because they're trying to get close to you, whether that's to borrow money or, or get you to invest in their made up scheme or whatever. So they tend to be these very charming people, you know, very good at convincing you that everything's cool. They're your best friend.
2: Right. <laughs> so right. You- One of the things that we've talked about with some people, I wonder your take on this, you know, these uh con artists in general male and female they are crazily hard workers they they throw themselves into this and you know you can't help but think oh what if this person de- decided to devote their powers to doing something good um yeah. but w- the the women that you profiled do you do you see any through line like did they set out like on day 1 I'm going to scam people out of their money is it something that came out of a need for something else and they realized they were just good at it. How, how does that, how does that progression happen in an obviously intelligent and talented person?
1: Mm, That's a good question. They're definitely all hardworking. Um, I would say most of them seem to slide into it. I don't think they started out saying I'm going to be a super criminal, but Mm. um, you know, maybe they were always a little bit creative, good storytelling, good at personas a lot of them started out with pettier crimes and like the most dangerous woman in my book Shante Kimes you know started out stealing hair dryers and ended up murdering three people so it's <laughs> there's definitely an escalation in yeah. a lot of these women. um but i totally agree that you feel like they could have been really great ceos or something because they're so intelligent they've got such hustle and they think outside the box i think we can say safely. yes yes yeah it does it is kind of a shame and all the wasted talent
0: yeah it sort of reminds me of like drug dealers are the same way right where it's like they just like they had they made they like somebody like el chapo you know maybe could have been a great ceo of a you know again like his smarts and his organization and his branding of his product was like brilliant he just happened to put it towards like the worst means
1: Totally and it's funny well it's not funny it's s- sinister but my first book is about female serial killers and I would say the same thing about them. they they had hustle you know I mean it sounds terrible because obviously they did horrible things but I see a lot of similarities with the con women like this type of um, hardworking right very intelligent and just got twisted somewhere along the way personality.
0: Interesting.
2: Tori, right. uh, serial killers and uh, Connor. do you do anything about nice people, something nice? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> doesn't,
0: nice people don't sound. tell books.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> um, well, but they're good for podcasts. All right, let's talk about one of the stories that really caught my attention in your book. And there's so many great stories in your book. But this woman by the name of Rose Marks. And I don't even want to give it away, but tell us a little bit about who she is, like what her background was, and then we'll kind of get into what she did and how she steered her smarts for
1: evil. Rose Marks was a fortune teller. She's still alive. She is no longer a fortune teller. She grew up in a family of fortune tellers, her mom, her grandma, you know, long line of fortune tellers. Ethnically, she's from the Roma people, so this is a big cultural deal for them. She was pulled out of school around the third grade and sort of put into the family trade, which is fortune telling, and she was very good at it. You know, she uh, took, she didn't learn to read till much later in life. She was not educated in the, the, the traditional sense, but she was extremely intelligent and very good at reading people, manipulating mm. them and uh it's worth saying there's nothing illegal about being a fortune teller it's perfectly fine you know you can you can do it you can get paid for it but she at some point veered into the realm of the illegal um by committing fraud so as she built this fortune telling empire and she staffed it with her daughters and her daughter-in-laws and her granddaughters she would promise people that she was going to return their money and then she wouldn't so sort of classic fraud, right? Mm -hmm. You're not, you can't do that. You can talk about fortunes all day long, but you can't (laughs) take people's money and then not return it. Um, And she would spin these wild stories about, you know, oh, you're under a curse. I'm I'm getting really bad energy. um, But your number is five. So I'm going to need $5,000 and I'm going to cleanse it and keep it safe because money is the root of all evil. That's why I need to cleanse it. And then I'll give it back to you and she wouldn't do this for every client of course there were a lot of simple palm readings for 50 bucks done you know but if she sensed that someone was really vulnerable and prone to belief and uh in a susceptible stage of life like a lot of these people had just lost someone dear to them or they were estranged from someone or they had cancer or they were being you know in a horrible divorce she would really get her hooks Into you, Mm. and 5,000 would turn into 10,000, 20,000, 100,000. I mean, she would take so much money from these people, it's hard to believe, and always had an excuse for why they weren't getting it back. You know,
0: well, let's start. Let's say, first of all, this is Rosa, is not Rose, is not your run of the mill, like corner on the block fortune teller. Like, A, she had a gift, but she also was a great business person because. I didn't realize this, but she had basically created this like fortune telling empire in the Florida area. Right. Well,
1: not not a ton. Like, don't be don't be thinking like a McDonald's level. I
0: think
1: there were maybe three, but she had started in Manhattan um, in this really like ritzy area near the Plaza Hotel. And then she kept that location and moved down to Florida where she had a couple locations. And yeah, she was the matriarch of all of it. And so she had money coming in from all these different clients. And she was, uh, like I said, she was staffing these locations with her relatives, her female relatives. And so if the relatives ran into trouble with a client, you know, couldn't quite get enough money out of them, Rose would step in and manipulate things along until she was getting those really big paychecks. And yes, she was incredibly good at it. You should have seen her house. It was like this like something like nine bathrooms glass walled <laughs> oh mansion on the water palm trees rolls royces in the driveway you know her sons all had the fanciest motorcycles and her daughters all had the best jewelry and they partied really hard and um she loved to gamble she would blow through i forget the number but it was something like a hundred thousand dollars a month fun wow gambling. um she wasn't very good at it. it so a, a,
2: a fortune teller who's fortune. not good. <laughs> yeah. One thing she's
0: not going to predicting yeah. is what that card is going to yeah. be. Yeah.
2: How how much would she, uh, do you know, like, what was the cut for the, uh, for her the employees, for the, these uh, family members that she roped in? How did, how did that work? Uh,
1: you know, I don't know if I know the percentage they got, but. I think there was some sense of pooled wealth because, mm. um, you know, I don't know if they even all lived at the mansion, but there was a lot of like coming and going from this mansion. I know this from the detective who we'll meet soon who was spying on her. Ah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there was they, they they had like their cars and their motorcycles and their jewels in this mansion. So yeah, but that's a good question that I don't have the answer to.
0: So the scam was that she would get these marks and desperate often very desperate and looking for answers and say that if you give me a certain your, your money's dirty or it's has negative psychic energy and if you give me this money i'll hold it for you and i'm going to cleanse it for you i'll give it back but we need to cleanse your money like that was a scam
1: yeah we need to cleanse your money I, you know there was other rhetoric happening to um we need to cleanse your money. I need to do the work, capital W, you know, mm-hmm. kind of vague, though. But mm. I need this money to do the work. Money is the root of all evil. Oh, she would say, um, in the olden days, we would do a human sacrifice. But don't worry. Ha-ha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Today, we just use money. <laughs> there, was, <laughs> there was some idea of money as sacrifice. And again, all a little bit vague, mm-hmm. very With very spiritual, there was talk of an angel, an archangel Michael. You know, so she would get people who you know say were Catholic or had a background, you know, grew up going to church, or just people who didn't have to be convinced that there there was a spiritual world. Right? She's not like taking stone cold atheists off the street and convincing them. She's taking people who are already open to some of these ideas, and um, scamming them. scamming them yeah
2: so so how does this um I'm, I'm assuming the people who didn't get their money back eventually get annoyed uh to say the least
1: mm-hmm. is that well, annoyed is a mild word yeah they are destroyed i mean um there's her clients are very tragic figures there's a woman who she would alienate them from their family because of course she doesn't want a family member saying, what are you doing? Wake up. So she has a woman who died and her family had no idea that all her money was gone. Cause this woman had given it all to Rose. Wow. Mm. Um, like I said, she finds people when they're vulnerable and then she just kind of breaks them down more. Should I talk about her most famous client?
0: Yes, please do.
1: Okay. So like the, worst example of this is jude devereau a famous romance novelist you can she's still writing today um became rose's client in the 90s because she jude was in a very sad place she wanted to get a divorce and she wanted to get pregnant and um she her she was she says she was in a you know emotionally abusive marriage and kind of felt trapped and she she walks by rose's manhattan storefront and their relationship began and um rose got her hooks so deep into jude that jude sorry (laughs) i'm mixing up the names jude was at one point paying rose a million dollars a year just for her services and rose was saying all this money is coming back to you except for a small fee that i'll keep for my services but so you know jude really is thinking that she's going to get all this back and they were friends and client relationship for decades uh Jude did get pregnant at 50. And Rose kind of was there for all that. So I, I imagine that felt like a miracle to Jude. Yeah. And um then her son actually died as a child and tra- in a tragic accident. And Rose was still there, right there, you know, pretending to be her friend, but she helped her sell her house and she kept the proceeds from the house. And she was kind of directing her life at that point because Jude was so broken and and kind of broke too at that point. Um, and then Jude ended up being the person who turned on Rose. So this Floridian detective, Charlie Stack, who we're obsessed with. He's like mm-hmm. a character, from, he's like a noir hero. <laughs> he's an Irish.
0: Hey! Yeah.
1: Top, and he's a, you know, he's a king. And then
0: that dame walked into my office and <laughs> that's the guy? Okay.
1: Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, and he convinced Jude Devereux that Rose Marks was a con artist. It took some convincing because Jude was totally in belief zone. But when she snapped out of it, Charlie Stack got her to turn on Rose and kind of go undercover. And so he would tape their phone calls. And at one point Jude asked for all the money back. And after a certain amount of what money mm. Rose's excuse was that it had all burned in the world trade centers. When the, when the world trade centers collapsed, Jude Devereaux's money had mysteriously been in there. And that was where all her money went. So oh that was God. the excuse. Whoa.
2: Whoa. Wow.
0: Wow. That's evil That's- in so many on so many levels,
2: evil, like a yeah. triple decker evil sandwich. There, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: jeez. So she was wired. Like, what did they learn?
1: So they basically the wire was, I I think to can to show that Rose was not going to return the money, um, thus making her a fraudster. And they were also looking at her bank accounts and her employees slash relatives bank accounts and they were seeing all this money come in and then like you know these huge checks come in and then these even huger checks come into rose's accounts and so um they indicted her and a bunch of her family members like all her kids and and some of her son and daughters-in-laws on different you know different types of fraud um Including the indictment is really weird to read because it's like mail fraud and email stuff and blah, blah. blah. And then it's like, <laughs> it's like something about millions of gold coins <laughs> because wow. they, it, they often like to ask for gold coins. My guess is because it just sounds more, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. So among the things that they had not returned to clients, it was like money, checks, gold coins, <laughs> a bedsheet, you know. <laughs>
2: wow. That's- John, I'm looking at some information on her and uh, it says she was sentenced to just over 10 years. This was back in March 3rd of 2014. So she's getting out soon. Oh, God.
0: So I hope she doesn't listen to this.
2: <laughs> so hold trouble. on to your
0: pocketbook, John. You know what's so interesting about these psychics? Do you think that in any way that she ever really believed that she had any kind of psychic ability or like or was this completely a scam? Um, like even like, I don't know if you heard of any of the court testimony or anything, like, did she actually believe like that she had some sort of gift?
1: I think she did believe that. Um, that's, that's the million dollar question, right? Yeah. And also I would say also like the are there psychic gifts like that's right. a question that i wonder too i mean okay here, here's what i know and i'll let you draw your own conclusions she she does say that um she had like a vision of her grandma's death as a kid and of course you could anyone could say that but i do get the sense maybe i mean she grew up in this culture of psychics you know m- maybe she did have some feelings of power or or, or destiny or whatever um i, I asked her son, Michael, basically what you just asked me. And he says that he thinks she crossed a line at some point, probably linked to her gambling. She also was drinking and doing drugs, uh, at one point, like way too much because she had lost her parents and a grandson. So tragedy touched her, like it touched her clients. And he basically, he thinks at one point she kind of went off the rails and started making promises she couldn't keep to her clients. Mm. Um, You know, that's a more gracious way of looking at her. It's it's hard to imagine. I mean, she didn't return. There's there's so she took so much money that she didn't return. It's hard to imagine that that was all just kind of a mistake and that she really intended to return. it.
2: Right. I would also say, you know, as opposed to, say, someone running a Ponzi scheme where maybe in some delusional thought in their head, they thought, I'm really gonna make investments and I'm really gonna hit it big for my clients. And, but she, she wasn't doing that. She was just literally taking their money. She wasn't even attempting yeah. to make anybody money. And so.
1: spending it. Right. right. No, that's. Spending
2: it. And what would she say when they asked for it back? Like, I
0: mean, I, you know, she got caught eventually, but other people must have been right. like, hey, where's my money like my cleansed money like i needed
1: to well you know her thing was she always the work was never finished so she Uh, would say well i can give it back to you but then the it's all for nothing
0: right so she played on their insecurities and their yeah, yeah
1: and there's a word for it what is it it's when you're it's 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 like when you've been dating the wrong person for 15 years sunk cost fallacy yeah you know you, you can't when you're in it so long, you can't get out because then you're like, well, what were the past 15 years for? So mm-hmm. I think that really worked on her clients. She'd be like, sure, I'll give you back your millions. But then what was the point of all this? Right. Why don't you give me another 20,000 and we'll keep doing the work?
2: It's, it's literally throwing good money after bad or whatever that expression is.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: When she went to jail,
0: she was pretty in a pretty bad place anyway, right? I mean, she was basically had crazy gambling debts and was an alcoholic. Do we know anything about her in prison recovery? (laughs) Did her son mention? What do we know? Well,
1: she, uh, you know, we're proud of her. She got her GED in prison, which, uh, you know, in her 60s or whatever, which is like a big achievement. And she and her, family were very proud of that. She, that's the main thing we know. She, her, her whole family is banned from practicing fortune telling anymore again oh. even though that's not legal but um or sorry fortune telling is legal but they are not allowed to practice it anymore yeah and but her her son that the one i talked to was kind of cynical about that because he he said and this quotes in the book he basically said it's it's like the mafia you know like you took a, our family out but another family just popped up in our place so yeah
2: I, 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 I got to admit, I didn't know that fortune telling was regulated in any kind of way that you could ban someone from the sport, you know, as it as it were.
1: Yeah, that's wild. Yeah.
2: Interesting. So the whole
0: family's out of the fortune telling business and time will see what how when Rose emerges, what I mean, she's obviously a pretty good business person and has a good Uh, intuition around people. I hope she uses it in a pause. Maybe she'll become a therapist. I I
1: don't know. I think she might be good at that.
2: I I gotta think that you know, this was all not that long ago. There's gotta be a lot of people waiting for her to walk out of there to say, Hey, it's time to pay up.
1: Yeah, she does still owe a lot of money. That's for sure.
0: Oh my goodness. Well, I wouldn't want to be in her
2: shoes. (laughs) Yikes. Yeah, man. (laughs) For all, this is a good lesson for all you uh, kids out there thinking about becoming a scam artist, fortune teller. You know, one day it's going to come back to you.
1: Yeah, just because it's trendy right now doesn't yeah. mean it's
2: going to be. Corey, when writing this book and learning
0: about all these techniques that these people had, did you ever feel like maybe adopting some in your own life, like in working? Because <laughs> now you know all these, kind of pers- these little tricks, right?
1: I, I would make you look at
0: humanity a lot a little differently.
1: <laughs> it made me, I mean, I've definitely been scammed in some minor ways in my past, you know. I couldn't do it myself though. I would buckle under the stress. It's I would just the fear of getting caught is too deep within me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if there's anything I'd like to adopt from them, it's their confidence.
2: <laughs> right, yeah. right, right.
1: I don't I don't want to cross the line, not because I'm such a good person, just because I'm I'm too stressed.
2: Yeah. Well, not that you would do it per se, but you must see a lot of you must have a lot of moments where you're like, oh, this would be a this person would make an incredible mark or there's incredible angle on this thing.
0: Yeah. This scam. Oh, I could I could do this and this would definitely make me some money. I could tell somebody this.
1: I hate to, I I like that version of me, but (laughs) it sounds cool. See, I don't, these women didn't actually make a ton of money. Well, okay. Like Rose brought in a ton of money, um, but it's not like when she went to prison, she had all these investments and was really growing her generational wealth. Like these women didn't end up rich in the traditional sense. So You know, if I was going to try to get rich, I would obviously become a writer. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding.
0: (laughs) That's the ultimate con.
1: Yeah. (laughs) The ultimate con. Yeah. But no, I I think that it's kind of a sad irony of cons is like, it's actually not the best way to get rich. And I think, I think that people do it for more of a pathological reason. Yeah. They might, they're doing it to get rich, but I think there's also some pathology there driving them.
2: So we we talked a lot about Rose and uh, just to tease uh, people to pick up the book. Do you have a favorite con artist in that book? A favorite story that just really kind of uh, maybe it haunts you, this person or what they were able to do and why they did it?
1: Yes. I have a haunting one. Um, Her name's Bonnie Lee Bakley, and she was like a minor scammer who scammed her way into marrying an aging hollywood actor who then let's just say she ended up dead and he ended up on trial for her murder and got off it is an extremely tragic story wow no there's scams and identities but then there's murder and a trial that was almost at the level of oj at its time okay Uh, so i recommend a good one it It has it all
2: all right
0: (laughs) There's a lot of movie potential movie uh, plots in this book.
1: Yeah,
2: jeez,
0: Tori, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing these dastardly stories
2: with us.
1: Oh, my pleasure.
2: Yeah, we'll have to be on the lookout. Yeah, what's what's the book called?
1: It's called "Confident Women, Swindlers, Grifters, and Shapeshifters of the Female Persuasion."
2: So you got I mean, you got
1: su- su- <laughs> we changed it last minute. I can't remember which one it is now.
2: So you got serial killers, you've got con artists. What's what's the next uh what, what's the next category of ne'er do wells are you're looking at?
1: I I haven't decided. Um, but I used to have a podcast called Criminal Broads that has every stripe of female criminal. So if people need more stories, they can go there. <laughs> okay,
0: great. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, Tori, thank you.
2: Thank you so right, much. See- great talking to you.
0: Dirty Money is a production of the Entrepreneur Media Podcast Network. It is produced by Dan Bova and John Small with music by Rich Bova. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Thank you for listening.